began a brand new series together uh, entitled Better Things. And if you have your Bible this morning, we want to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read verses 18 through 24. Uh, and then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. And what we're going to see in Hebrews 12 this morning is the writer of Hebrews does a comparison of the Old Testament encounter of the children of Israel at Mount Sinai where God gave them the law and our encounter through Jesus Christ uh, as New Testament believers with God. And so he kind of paints this picture of a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, between a temporal mountain and a heavenly mountain, between a natural inheritance and a spiritual inheritance. And he really gives us this amazing uh, kind of insight into what God has purposed and planned for us. And in this scripture, there's a little phrase that we're going to grab hold of and really just kind of drill down into over the next few weeks, talking about the better things that God really does have in store for us. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 says this, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Now look at verse 22. He says, so no, we haven't come to Mount Sinai. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to, a, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. And you have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven who have been made perfect. And look at verse 24. And you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood which speaks, and I put in parentheses the, the King James word, speaks of better things. Forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. And look at Hebrews 8, verse 6. It says, And now he, but now, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry, insomuch as he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So let's look at that first point on your outline. I want you just to see this with me today. How many of you know life is better with Jesus? Can I get a witness in the house? How many of you know life is better? With Jesus. And the Bible actually says here in Hebrews that we have a better covenant built on better promises, I believe, so that we can enjoy the better things that God has for us. The writer of Hebrews compares Sinai to Mount Zion, and he says, In the Old Testament, the children of Israel encountered God on the mountain, and he came down in thunder and lightning, and, and he shook the mountain. The Bible says that when God spoke at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel didn't draw near, they pulled away. And as a matter of fact, they actually begged God not to speak to them any Lord. Lord, you talk to Moses, and Moses, you talk to us, because God, you're a little scary. <laughs> I hear people all the time say, I'd love to hear the audible voice of God. Maybe not. <laughs> I 
Maybe it's a little bigger. Maybe it's a little more powerful than what we imagine. But in Mount Sinai, God shows up on this mountain with blackness and darkness and lightning and thunder. And he speaks and his voice shakes the earth. And he gives a commandment so that anyone who even would come near the mountain would be stoned to death. And the Bible says the children of Israel begged God not to speak to them. And the children of Israel pulled away from the mountain. And even Moses himself, the Bible says, stood trembling before God. And then he says, but now, but now, because of Jesus, we come to Mount Zion, to a heavenly Jerusalem. And I love love what he says here. Look at verse verse 22. To Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. How many know he's alive today? We come to the city of the living God. Look what he says. To the heavenly Jerusalem, not a physical mountain, right? We haven't come to a physical mountain. We've come to a spiritual mountain. Look what he says. And to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Man, when we come to God, you know what we come into? We come into joy. We come into the gathering of countless thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of angels shouting, singing, rejoicing in the glory and the wonder of God. Of God, And look what else he says. Verse 23, and he says, you come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. How many know that when you come to God, you come to the assembly? There's an assembly that happens. And we come in to not only a heavenly assembly, but we come in to an, a corporate assembly where the Spirit of God, how many know the Spirit of God draws us together? The Spirit of God compels us to come. Look what he says. And you have come to God himself who is a judge over all things. And you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. And I love verse 24. And you have come to Jesus who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood of Christ which speaks better things. The blood of Christ speaks better things. Amen? Abel's blood called for vengeance and justice. The blood of Jesus cries out for mercy and forgiveness. And we have come into a better covenant built on better promises so that we can enjoy the better things that God has for us. Let me say it to you this way. I believe that we have been for way too long buying what the world's selling. (laughs) And we have settled for what the world offers instead of the better things that God has for us. I want to tell you today, there's some better things. Jesus makes life better. Jesus makes life better. And over the next few weeks, we want to just kind of tap in to some of those better things. What are the better things that God offers us? And how do we begin to walk in those better things? We have a better covenant. We have better promises. So why aren't we walking in the better things that the blood of Jesus cries out for? So look at that next point. I want you to see this. I want you to recognize that better things uh, aren't always easier things. Better isn't always easier, but it's always better. Better isn't always easier, but it's always better. And the reason I say that is because I want you to understand as we begin to drill down and begin to dive into what it is that God has for us, the better things that Jesus has purchased for us, the better things that he has brought us into, I want you to understand that better things, better is not always easier, but it's always better. 
I mean, think about the things that you want, and then think about the things that you need. Sometimes those things are exactly the opposite of each other. And sometimes what we want seems to sometimes come easy, and sometimes what we need is not always as easily obtained. I mean, let's just think about it like this for just a minute. You want to sleep 30 minutes later, but you need to get up and spend time at the feet of Jesus. Right? You want it. You want 30 minutes extra sleep, but you need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because life's better with Jesus. How many know your day goes better when you start it with Jesus? How many know your family likes you a little better when you start your day with Jesus? Hey, it's better with Jesus. Life is better with Jesus. And there are some things that we want that sometimes come easy. It's easy just to hit the snooze button and roll back over and go to sleep. It's easy to just jump out of bed and run to work. It's easy just to hurry through life and hurry through our day without ever really taking the time to do the thing that we really need, which is to connect our heart daily with the heart of God. Now, let's just think about a couple other things. If you're in here today, maybe you're, maybe you're kind of getting started in life. We've got some younger folks in the house today. If you're under, uh, under 30, raise your hands. We've got any under 30 in here? Hey, awesome, good looking. All right, praise God. If you're over 100, raise your hand. Just Donald and Dustin, praise the Lord. What a great group of people in the house today. You know, when you're young and you're getting started in life, uh, everybody getting started in life always wants to make more money, right? I've never met anybody that said, you know what, I wish they wouldn't pay me as much as they do. They're way overpaying me. I've never met anybody like that. When you're young, a lot of times you're coming out of high school or maybe coming out of college and you're just getting started and you're always saying, man, I just need to make more money. I want to make more money. I want to make more money. I want to make more money. But how many know sometimes in your pursuit of wanting to make more money, maybe what you need is more education. Maybe you need training. Maybe you need some skills. Maybe you need some apprenticeship. Maybe you just need to hunker down where you're at and stay there long enough to actually figure out what you're doing so you can actually succeed at life. But what happens is, right? What happens is, and we see it a lot in young people, is they go from one job to another job, but this is not just, this is not just typical for young people. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people that changed jobs because it was going to pay them more money, and then they got their new job, and they wish they had their old job. How many know more money is not more better? <laughs> see, what's... What is better is not always easier, and sometimes what we want and what we need is a little bit different, and we got to recognize as we begin to dive into the promises of God, what is better is not always easier. It's going to require some discipline. It's going to require saying no to your flesh. It's going to require some commitment on your part to step into the better things that God has for your life, because you can settle for what the world's selling. Or you can press through and grab hold of the better thing that God has purpose for your life. See, if you're here today, any single people in the house? All three of you, raise your hand. Come on in. Well, I'll give all three of you this special word right here. This is just for you, three. If you're single, you know what most single people want? They want to be married. They want to be married. But you know what sometimes most single people need? They need to be healed. They need to be healthy, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and they need to be whole. 
so that they actually begin to attract the kind of person they want to be married to for the rest of their life? Because we've all seen people who were single that wanted to get married and they got married and then they wanted to be single. Right? Better's not always easier, but it's always better. And it's better for you to be healthy and whole and attract the right person than for you to do the easy thing and marry the first person that walks through the door that's willing to walk down the aisle with you. Because at the end of the day, marriage is supposed to last a lifetime. Let's talk on the other end of the spectrum real quick. Let's talk a little bit about retirement, right? I talk to a lot of people, they're, they're coming up for retirement. And when you're, when you're in that last little phase of working right, the last five years, man, I just want to retire. I want to do my own thing. I want to have my own time. I want to sleep when I want to sleep. I want to get up when I want to get up. I want to do what I want to do. I can't wait till I retire because I'm going to do my own thing. That's what you want. What if what you need is instead of retire, what if you need to refocus? I heard something uh, just a couple weeks ago in our, our men's class, The Great Adventure. Loved it. God made this great statement. He said, when guys are young, he says, they wonder and they squander their inheritance. And when guys are old, they settle and they squander their inheritance. What if when you retire, think about this, what if instead of retiring, what if you refocus? What if at this season of your life, you actually now have more to give than you've ever had to give before? What if you have more wisdom and more experience and more time and maybe even more money than you've ever had any other season of your life and for you to retire and check out when you should refocus and check in because you got more to give now to the generations behind you than you've ever had before. So it's not easier, but it's better. Because wouldn't it be great to end your life strong? How sad to end my life comfortable when I could end my life conquering new territory. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to be a conqueror. I want to take new ground. I want to be dying taking new ground. I want to be dying taking new territory for God. So better's not always easier, but better's always better. Amen. So today I'm going to give you two things today. I believe there are better things that God wants to give to us that he's actually already given to us this morning. All right? So let's look at our first one. I want you to see that purity is better than immorality. Purity is better than immorality. Because it creates what I want to call sticking power. We need some sticking power. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Because sex, I want you to see this, sex is not just a physical act. It is a spiritual covenant. Well, y'all didn't know he was going to really talk today, did you? Sex is not just a physical act. It's a spiritual covenant. And purity is better than immorality. And the reason I want to talk about sex this morning in this aspect, because we're going to look at purity. There's a whole lot to purity outside of sexual immorality and sexual sin. But we live in a culture now that is cheapened sex down to this just a physical act, 
just something two people do. It's just, it's just a physical pleasure, and there's no real meaning behind it. I mean, it's just two people coming together, having a good time, and we're going to go my way, and you're going to go your way, and everything's going to be all right because, hey, it's fun, and it's enjoyable, and, hey, we're people, and we're supposed to do this stuff, and it's just what we do. It's just a physical act. It doesn't mean anything. I want to tell you something. That is so wrong. That is so distorted, that is so corrupted, and it is perverting and robbing a generation of what God wants to do in people's lives. So let's talk about this for a minute this morning. Matthew chapter 19. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. The word therefore joined, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. The word joined literally in, in the Greek there means to be glued together. Sex is the glue. I want you to hear this. Sex is the glue that is intended to sanctify your marriage. The word sanctify simply means to set it apart. If you're married, how many know you should only be having sex with your spouse? Because what does sex do in the marriage relationship? It sanctifies it. It's the glue that holds us together. It's the thing that sets apart my marriage relationship. Right, I just spent three days in Baton Rouge or down around Louisiana with three other guys at a men's conference and we had a great time and we had an awesome time and we shared hotel rooms and we shared bathrooms and we shared a lot of stuff, some laughs, some tears, we shared some worship, we shared some word, but we didn't share sex. Because that's one thing. That's one thing that I share with my wife that I don't share with anyone. Now I can have great fellowship and I can have great relationships and I can do a lot of things with the guys. But (laughs) sex is the glue. It's the thing that God intended. It is a covenant in the mind of God. It is what consecrates and sex sets your relationship apart between a husband and a wife. And it's better, purity is better than immorality because it creates stickability. I, I want to I show you something. How many of you guys know what this is? Right? It's what you fix the world with, right? You can fix anything with duct tape. Man, duct tape is amazing. Right? I want to show you something. Every time you have sex, you're glued. Problem is, if you're having sex with somebody that's not your wife, it's not intended to last. Well, then you meet somebody else and you're glued. And then, well, that didn't last. Well, I met somebody else. Praise God for Christian mingling. 
what you can't see is there's little pieces of me on this tape. And every time you're glued and you rip it off, and every time you're glued and you rip it off, and every time you're glued and you rip it off, you lose a little bit of yourself. And not only do you lose a little bit of yourself, but every time this happens, it's not as sticky as it used to be. You want to know why marriages don't last? You don't know why relationships don't last? We've lost our stickability. Immorality robs you. Immorality robs you of the sticking power that God intended sex to have in your relationship. See, I'm thankful I can honestly say I've never had sex with anybody but my wife. And man, we're stuck. 28 years later, we ain't going nowhere. And we're excited about being stuck. We're excited that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this amazing woman. And I don't ever have to look anywhere else for what I have in her. But every time, hear me. Every time you engage in sexual immorality, you give a little bit of yourself away. And you lose some stickability. And you rob yourself. You're not robbing God. God's not less God because you're having sex. He's not more God because you are. He is God. You're not robbing God. You're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of the glue that God intended to be between a husband and a wife to help you last through the storms and adversities and the trials and the tribulations and the troubles that come against us. Because everybody in this room that is married can testify trouble comes, trial comes, challenges come. Purity's better. You know what I've never heard? I've never heard two people that kept themselves pure say, you know what, man, we just regret our purity. I've never counseled a married couple that said, man, you know what, we kept ourselves and now we've been married 25 years and i tell you what, I just wish, I wish we'd have went out and sowed some wild oats. I wish we'd have really just went out and done that. But I, I, we regret our purity. I've never heard that. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard, boy, I regret my immorality. I wish I'd have never done that. I wish I'd have never went there. I wish I'd have never returned that Facebook message. I wish I'd have never done this. I wish I regret the immorality. Nobody regrets purity. Nobody. But the world is full of people who are trying to stick that regret the immorality. Well, Pastor Keith, man, I've already screwed up. I've already messed up. Does that mean there's no hope for me? No, there is hope because of Jesus. Amen. God restores, God renews, and God rebuilds. But here's the challenge. I want you to see this, guys. I want you to hear. Even though God does all that, you still got to work through it. Purity is better. Purity is better. It creates a sticking power that enables you to last. Now, purity is not just about in the area of sexuality. Purity is also in every area of our lives. Look with me in Titus chapter 1. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their minds and their consciences are defiled. 
to the pure all things are pure, but to, look what it says. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their minds and their consciences are defiled. Purity in our minds, our thoughts. Purity in our words. Purity in our actions. To be unpure is to be, to be pure literally means to be unmixed, to be undefiled. And all of a sudden we start buying into what the world's saying. We start buying into the philosophies and ideologies of our culture. And all of a sudden we get this mixed mentality. And we get mixed up in our thinking and we get mixed up in our words and we get mixed up in our actions. And all of a sudden we're defiled in our thoughts. We're defiled in our words. We're defiled in our actions. But to the pure all things are pure. But to those who are unbelieving, they're defiled even in their own mind and their own conscience. I was, I was praying this morning, and, and the Lord just really quickened something to me. There's a word I've been, I've been catching for over a year now. It's called capacity. Capacity. And when you think about a person's capacity to handle stress, to handle tension, to handle responsibility, you look back 50 years ago, and it seemed like you couldn't break those people. You look around today, and people have a very small capacity for responsibility, a very small capacity for stress, for conflict, for trouble. And what happens is, is we see people crumbling and being broken and being devoured and being destroyed by what really shouldn't devour and destroy us. I mean, we literally have people in our church that have been in church for a long time, and we'll say, hey, would you like to serve being usher one Sunday a month, stand at the front door and greet people? And they're like, man, my plate is just too full. I can't do that. Your plate's too full to spend one hour and a half, one Sunday a month, shaking hands at the door and saying, good morning, welcome to Liberty? You mean that's going to break you? That happens a lot. My place just too full, Pastor Keith. I can't take on anything else. Well, what are you doing spiritually? Well, nothing, but I can't take on anything else. Our capacity, and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me this morning. He said, Keith, he said, immorality has robbed our capacity. It has robbed us of not only stickability, but the capacity and the stability and the longevity to endure the things of the world. There was a statistic last year that talked about the average teenager now is operating at the stress level of a psychiatric patient 50 years ago. So I got two questions. Has the world really got that much more stressful? Or has our capacity for stress gotten smaller? I'm just telling you, 50 years ago, life wasn't easy. It wasn't a walk in the park. It wasn't a joy ride. But yet today, we got 13-year-olds that are under as much stress as somebody in a psychiatric center was 50 years ago having a mental breakdown. Why? Our capacity. And what's happened is when we get defiled in our minds, and we get defiled in our words, and we get defiled in our actions, it robs us of the capacity to deal with life, 
We don't think right. We don't speak right. We don't act right. So we can't deal with life when it comes at us. And this is huge, guys, because there needs to be an enlargement of capacity, right? I want to enlarge my capacity to receive what God has for me. How do I do that? I've got to be pure in my thoughts. I've got to be pure in my words. I've got to be pure in my actions. If I can get unmixed, I can receive what God really does have for me. So purity is better than immorality. It enlarges my capacity and it creates sticking power. Right? I want to stick. How about you? I want to stick on my job. I want to stick in my family. I want to stick in the church. I want to stick in the ministry. I want to stick in the place God has called me to stick. Amen? The old saying, right, like a hair in a biscuit, I want to be there. Come on. We were a little serious there. Y'all needed something to laugh at. Let's look at the next thing. Let's talk about a better thing. Purity is better than immorality. Generosity is better than greed. Generosity is better than greed because it creates true prosperity. The word prosperity literally has nothing to do with money in the Bible. It literally means to help reach your destination. When you prospered somebody in the Bible, it literally meant you helped them get to where they were going. God wants to prosper you. God wants you to get where he's called you to go. I don't know about you, I want to get where God's called me to go. Generosity is better than greed because it creates true prosperity. True prosperity, prosperity is not measured by what we have, it is measured by what we give. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says this, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Generosity is better than greed. Think about it for just a minute. When you think about a greedy person, greedy people are takers. And takers are selfish people. You know what I know about greedy, taking, selfish people? They're never happy. Selfish people are never happy. They're never happy. It doesn't matter what they get. If they're greedy for gain and all they do is take and take and take. And this is not just about money. This is about taking life, taking energy, right? You ever, you ever had somebody walk in the room and you could literally feel, feel the energy, the life sucking out of the room? There's some takers out there, right? And you know what you and I know about takers and greedy people? They are never satisfied and they are never happy. Greed robs you of joy. Greed robs you of happiness. Greed robs you of peace. And greed, you will never get to where God wants you to be by taking. You can't take your way into the kingdom. Well, God, I'm just going to take that, and I'm going to take this, I'm going to take that, I'm going to take this. Let me tell you what I've seen, especially in ministry. Anybody that takes a position in ministry don't last in ministry. Because you can't take it. It's got to be given to you. And you got to be a giver. Let me tell you what you can do. You can give your way right into God's purpose and plan for your life. You can give of your time. You can give of your energy. You can give of your resources. You can give of your life. And you can give your way right into the place God wants you to be. Generosity empowers you to go where God has called us to go. Greed robs us. He who loves silver will never be satisfied with silver, right? Watch every commercial on TV. What does every commercial on TV tell us? You need this to be happy. 
God, if you had this, you'd be happy. And if you had this, you'd be happy. And then when you get that, well, you need this accessory to go with that thing to be happy. And how many of you know it never works? The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Why? Because generosity produces true prosperity. You want to get where God wants you to be, be a giver. You want to do what God wants you to do, be a giver. You're never going to go where God wants you to go, be what God wants you to be, and accomplish what God wants you to accomplish if you live with a greedy, take me, take what I want selfish mentality. You can only give your way into the place that God has purposed for you. Proverbs 11, 25 says this, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Anybody know any encouraging people? Y'all know any encouraging people? You know, what I, you know what I love about encouraging people, encouraging people that encourage people, encourage people, encourage people? If they ever get down, you know what happens? They get surrounded by people encouraging them. And you look at encouraging people, and you think they never have a bad day. No, they have a bad day. They just don't stay in that bad day very long. Because they spend their life watering others. And when they get dry and dusty and depressed, guess what happens? There's 4,000 people that want to water them. <laughs> people go out of their way to encourage the encourager when they're not encouraged. People will love on them and encourage them and gather around them and pray for them. And, and you think the encourager never gets discouraged. No, they get discouraged a lot. They just don't stay discouraged because they have made it a lifestyle to be generous and to give encouragement and compassion and care and prayer to other people. So when they bottom out, there's a world of people around them lifting them up. And you look at them, you say they never have a bad day. No, they have bad days. They just don't stay down long. Why? Because he who waters others will himself be watered. The generous soul will be made rich. Look at this next verse, Proverbs 22, 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives his bread to the poor. Isaiah 32, 8 says, But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. He who has a generous eye, look what it says, will be blessed. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow with it. Generosity is better than greed. It's better to be a giver than a taker. It's better to sow than to reap. Why? Because God gives seed to the sower, the Bible says, and bread to those who eat. A generous eye. Kelly and I, every now and then, have this little conversation. We've been tithers and givers for a long, long time. But every now and then we'll say, are we really generous? And the answer is, we're never generous enough. I'll never forget, uh, several years ago, me and Pastor Rick went to California out to a Celebrate Recovery Summit. And we're two redneck boys from Arab, Alabama, out in California. And we're driving down. I mean, it's just big and amazing. And 12 lanes, I mean, 12 lanes of traffic. It's, you know. We're staying in this little fancy neighborhood. These people opened their house up. We're staying in their house. And about the second day, we're driving to the church through these real fancy neighborhoods. And Pastor Rick says, I wonder where all the poor people live. Where's the trailer park at? That thought never entered my mind. But he has a generous eye. 
looking for ways to give, looking for ways to sow, looking for ways to make a difference. I'm just going to tell you, that's how you want to live your life. It's better to be looking for opportunities to bless somebody than it is for looking for who's going to bless you. That's a sad way to live your life. Sad way to live your life. It's better to be generous than greedy. It's better to have a generous eye than a stingy soul. It's better, it's better to be a giver than a taker. So I'm going to close with what we started with. Life is better with Jesus. Amen. We have a better covenant with better promises. So we should enjoy the better things that God has for us. But better isn't always easier. But it's always better. I don't know about you. I want the better life. I want to live pure and generous. Purity in my thoughts, my words, and my actions in my life. Purity in and around me. Because I want to stick in everything that I do. And I want to be generous. I want to have a generous eye. The generous soul devises ways to be generous. And in his generosity, the scripture says he stands. I want you to just bow your heads today. I want to ask you a very simple question. Are you choosing the better things? Are you buying what the world's selling? I'm just going to tell you it's a trick. And it's a trap. Immorality in any area or arena of your life will never satisfy you. Wrong thinking, wrong speaking, wrong acting, it won't work. Purity creates stickability. So you can be stable and your life and your relationships can last. I don't want to be a shooting star. I want to shine forever and ever and ever for the glory of God. Generosity. creates true prosperity. So I want to ask you today, are you choosing the better things? Or is there an area in your life today that you say, you know what, (laughs) Pastor Keith, I've I've settled. (laughs) Maybe I didn't intend to, maybe it wasn't the purposeful path that I took, but I have now found myself maybe in a place where I'm not choosing the better things. And I want to do that today. If you're here, you're a Christian, and that's your heart, I want you just right there to do business with God. Say, God, I, I choose the better things today. And I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to cleanse me. Create in me a, a right heart and a right spirit. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're kind of standing on the outside looking into this thing this morning. 
And maybe you realize today what you need more than anything is Jesus. There's only one mediator, the Bible said. We read it in Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 8 between God and man, and his name is Jesus. Only one way to God, his name is Jesus. And today there's a better way. And there are better things that you can have through Christ. The forgiveness of sin. Eternal life. And all you got to do is be willing to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and say, hey, today, God, I surrender my life to you. If you're here today and you've never sincerely done that, you've never been saved, is what the Bible calls it, then today we want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you've never been saved and today you want to surrender your heart and life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and confess that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and say, God, I want the better things you have for me. And I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And I want to pray with you this morning. And I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. But maybe not that easy. I want to ask you just to stand. Just to stand up all over this building, right where you're at. You don't have to come forward, but just to stand and say, I want to stand up today because I want to pray to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to trust Jesus today. You can do it right now. Just stand. Just stand up. We're about to pray together. God bless you that are standing right now. Come on, this is your moment. I know God has a better way. My life ain't working. (laughs) I've tried it all and it's not working. Jesus works. And if you want to trust Him today as your Lord and Savior, all you got to do is stand. As you stand to your feet, our ushers are come. They're going to slip just a little packet in your hand. Something we want to just put in your hand right now for you to take home with you just to help you take those next steps. We're about to pray. If you want to stand right now, go ahead and stand all over this building. We're about to pray and trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is your moment right now. Don't miss it. Remember, the better things may not be the easiest thing, but it's the best thing. It's the best thing. So right now, let's pray this prayer. Everybody in the room here with me, if you're standing, let's pray this out loud together, all of us. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I commit to follow you all the days of my life. I receive your forgiveness and eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.